Back in the day when Adrienne Marie Brown was in high school, she wrote an anonymous advice column in the school newspaper called Ah Shucks. And the advice column was really cute because basically um, there were two people giving advice and one was called Ah and the other was called Shucks. And whatever the question was, usually the person who was Ah was like giving really sweet advice that was like actually helpful. And whoever was writing Shucks would give like, it would be like getting advice from Kid Fury and Crystal on the read. So in that spirit, we are launching a new segment on our show called Ah Shucks, where Adrian and Autumn give y'all advice straight out of the 90s. Enjoy. I'm Autumn Brown, a queer science fiction writer, a theologian, a mother of dragons, and a healing justice facilitator for social movements living in rural Minnesota. And I'm Adrian Marie Brown, author of Emergent Strategy, co-editor of Octavia's Brood, writer, facilitator, auntie extraordinaire, doula, and pleasure activist living in Detroit. And this is How to Survive the End of the World our podcast about learning from apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. Ah, shucks. That there works. We go. Okay, that'll do. All right, so this is our our first ever ah, shucks advice, advice episode. Exactly. That's very exciting. Uh, so we are going to do this question today. What do you think is necessary to prepare for the next 10 years, particularly with the climate report that was just released? I'm not surprised to be seeing the data in the report, but I really felt the finality of it all. Mm. And this is Ariana um, from our from our Instagram followers. And this question is right on time because we were both sitting here like as we've been um Spent the last few days with a group of people for the Emergent Strategy mm-hmm. um, Immersion 3. So I've done these experiments this year of how do we help people embody Emergent Strategy more. And a huge thing that came up multiple times throughout the weekend was the level of climate genocide, the level of climate apocalypse we're actually in. Mm-hmm. And I've been reading articles about it. It's just very present for me. Um, so it feels really good to be able to spend some time with this question. And I think, um, I think a way into it, um, before even getting to actually answering the question, like, what do we do is just to acknowledge, like, what is the feeling of being, a a, a human who is aware of what's coming right now? And I think the first level of it is how do we prepare ourselves on an emotional and spiritual level um, Mm. as we're aware of this. And then I think we can get to the piece around what are tangible things that we start to do. Yeah. So do you have some starting thoughts for us on that piece? Yeah. I mean, it's been interesting reading there was a the article, I think it was a New York Times maybe opinion article yeah. that was that was using the framing of climate genocide. Yes. And and it was really intense to 
read it with that lens yeah. on it and to be like, and I think someone said this during the emergent strategy immersion this weekend that like, it's really different to be alive. You know, I think there's, I'm sure that every generation has some sense of like, everything's coming to an end. Um, yes, <laughs> you know, I think that probably yes. every generation of like humans that have been like consciously human yes um has probably had some sense of like everything's coming to an end and yeah. of course for many of the communities that we often talk about this on the show right that for many of the communities that we come from many many of those communities have had a direct experience of things coming to an end yeah and and it's also we are at a different moment as a species because i think this probably is the first time yeah. in human history where we have such a global level of awareness that things, that life as we know it is about to come to an end. Yeah. Oh, you said this during the immersion that like <laughs> this point, I love this point that you made that like we have an awareness that things are coming to an end while for those of us who live in an American context, um, particularly those of us who have had access to class mobility inside of an American context yes. while also living lives of relative comfort. Yes. And that there's a, I think that yeah. that's a useful way to get into the like, what do we need to do on a, to prepare for this on an emotional and spiritual level? Because I yeah. think the first thing that we have to do is be, uh, is begin holding awareness that we are having a we're disconnected yeah. from the direct experience yes right so that's part of what makes it challenging to take the information in because for those of us who are living in yeah. uh experiences of relative comfort and ease having uh for those of us who have a roof above our heads who have access to water who yes. have access to food who have clothes to wear yeah you know we who have jobs to go to yes um we are not directly physically connected to the uh, the imminent reality yeah um and and i think that is part of what makes it hard for us to spiritually reckon yeah. with that imminent reality. Oh yeah. And so I know for myself, one of the things that's been useful in terms of that spiritual connection is, um, my Zen practice. Okay. And because, you know, a huge part of a Zen meditation practice particularly the my family we practice in the Soto Zen tradition um, you know we're really you're working with um, a framework that's referred to as the four noble truths one of which is the truth of suffering uh-huh um, and mm -hmm. and inside of that the truth that like every one we love will suffer and die yes and so we have to part of our meditation practice part of zazen is to really sit with, um, and awaken to that reality that like everyone I've ever known, yeah. everyone I've ever loved is either dead yeah. or is going to die. Yes. That the truth of my life is that my life is coming to an end yeah. and the life of my children will come to an end. Yeah. And I think that that practice, because that is a thing that's true regardless of our climate reality, yeah. right? Like 
I think that, and I think that that in a way, I don't mean to be a sort of like dismissive about our climate reality by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But I do think that it's important for us in this moment to orient to the fact that to the truth of death. Yes. Right. Like death is a thing that is coming for us all. And it's coming for us all, no matter how it comes. That's right. And I think being able to be in touch with the truth of death and the truth of suffering is the, the first practice ground. Yeah. That then creates space for us to figure out what our agency is inside of that truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And um, <clears throat> I just have to say, we're recording this um, about 24 hours after I found out that my mm. friend Alana passed away. Mm-hmm. And so that piece around like sitting with death and how, you know, there's sometimes there's just no amount of magic or organizing that can stop a death from coming. Mm -hmm. Um, And she died of cancer. Not sometimes, always. Well, (laughs) you know what I mean? Sometimes, and what I mean there is more like, um, if you have someone in your life who's like addicted to crack, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, um, you know, we can try to intervene here. Like we can't make this person choose different things, Mm -hmm. but we can intervene and be like, we love you. And here's the clear path of, you know, if you get into this program and if you make these commitments and if you do this practice, you can actually extend your life. Mm-hmm. Or even like our father had a heart attack and it's like um, he's alive now because he was able to make some some interventions in that moment and then he was able to make some choices about how he ate and how he interacted with his body and what he medicated and so there's things that he can do to really prolong his life Mm -hmm. and in Alana's case it was like nothing we could throw at it could really go beyond a certain period there was just like this is just coming and um and she died of cancer uh metastatic cancer gastroesophageal cancer um and I really do believe that cancer is one of the canaries in the coal mine of what's happening for us as a species. Mm. Um, I think that most cancer is born from repression or from the toxic environment that we are asked to survive in. And I mean that not in a sense of like we cause cancer because we repress our feelings. I think that can happen. But I also think it's more on a sociological level we are taught to repress most of what we feel, most of our trauma, most of everything else. We're supposed to tuck it into ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that tucking in is a toxifying move. And then it gets exacerbated by being in a world where we put so many toxins into the environment. We do so little to remove toxins from the environment. Mm -hmm. And then we're all swimming in that water, that Mm -hmm. toxic water. So, um, so yes, turning and facing death and recognizing that it's coming for all of us is a huge piece of this. And then inside this question of climate apocalypse, I think what feels so hard is feeling like, but it doesn't have to. Like there's a very clear methodology of how we could change our behaviors and change our relationship with the planet and get back into right relationship with the planet that would actually um, mean that we were not setting ourselves up for the climate genocide and climate apocalypse that we are entering into mm-hmm. and that is happening mm-hmm. and is coming for us. And so on an emotional and spiritual level, there's a big part of it that is the, for me, a huge part of it is grieving the fact that I live on a planet with people who don't love the planet. And I feel like that's taken a long time to 
to look at and be like, oh, like <clears throat> it's not like I can make a better poster or make a better <laughs> argument or tell people the facts or write a better article or something. There's nothing that I can do on the level of education that will transform how people orient towards this planet. Mm -hmm. Like if something is broken between a human and the planet that they live on, um, it's not like I can make the case for it on a, on a factual level. I actually have to be in a, in a massive battle for their soul um, for whatever part of their soul has been broken out of relationship mm. with this place. So to me, that's one of the first pieces is like to do my own grief of, cause I think grief helps you recognize, um, what needs to be let go of, right? Mm -hmm. Like grief is a way of saying this, you have to actually let go of this. You can't take everything with you. And I was just saying this, you know, related to, to all the death that's been happening is like grieving feels so important because the future that we can survive is when we have to leave a lot of now behind. Yes. A lot of the practices we think of as we take for granted now that we just have to continue. And that includes on a spiritual level. The fact that we grow up and we raise children to have a relationship, even our relationship to divinity is a relationship with a, a being that is not reliant on this planet or from this planet necessarily. It's like <laughs> there's someone out in in the ether. Um, there's someone out in the air in the ether and that person is intervening or not on our behalf and we pray to them and like hopefully we live a good life and we get to go live with them in the ether somewhere. And I espouse much more to an indigenous worldview, which is like we live on a planet that is alive and sacred and that there's a million sacred relationships that construct the planet we live in mm -hmm. and that we have gotten out of our sacred relationship yeah. with the planet. And so the grief of being out of right relationship and having been um, raised in a society that is out of right relationship. So it's like, oh, I didn't even have a chance to be in right relationship. And it's not because my parents didn't love trees. It's because every single choice point that I was given in my life was one that was toward, moving me towards achieving financial um, success, material success, you know, trying to get married, trying to have children, all this stuff. And none of it was like, get to know the land that you live on and the place that you live in and what grows and survives on that land and find your place inside that ecosystem. Right, um, like when you talk about the, the place in your soul that's like yeah. broken, what you're talking about is like a systemic yeah. soul brokenness. <laughs> exactly. And it's, I think of it like, you know, as a doula, right, you see a, a child come into the world and that umbilical cord that connects them mm -hmm. to the life source, right, of their parent. And it's like, okay, now that you have been birthed out into the world, we're going to cut this cord um, but the cord has built a relationship and that relationship will continue on a spiritual level, you know, mm -hmm. in, in the ideal scenario, what's happening there is like the relationship between the mother, um, and the child or the parents and the child mm -hmm. will continue like that umbilical cord will continue at a spiritual level until the child is ready for a next step. And then it'll continue after that, right? That there'll be this cord of connection and that's felt as tangible and, then we cut that, it's like we've cut that cord and now people are being built, born into the world with like no umbilical cord at all. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like nothing that's saying, oh, that, there's a cord also to this planet. Right. And I think to me that's what indigeneity in, in a fundamental sense is about, is having a cord level strength of connection with a place. Yeah. And being like, oh, in the same way that I'm like, when my mother, when our mother is grieving, I feel her grief. Right. And I know 
in some ways how to attend to it and care for her and be like, Oh, you're hurting because there's a, because of that cord, there is something that's energetically passing between you and her, regardless of the distance. Exactly. Exactly. So all of this is making me think about the healing justice framework Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I feel like, so, you know, as Adrian was saying, we just came out of this emergent strategy immersion. One of the folks in the room was an elder named Ari. Magical being. Who was incredible. Mm -hmm. And Ari spoke about the necessity of all of us as organizers doing our healing work because that that doing, and Ari was really talking about like our grief work as our healing work and the recognition that like if we don't do our grief work, if we don't do our healing work, then we can't actually do our organizing work, right? right? That like our grief and healing work is necessary in order to be able to like fully presence ourselves yeah. to the organizing work that we're doing. And it really just had me thinking about the the framework of healing justice and mm. and that recognition that like there that there is something that's operating at a much deeper lever, level that has to be attended to yeah. in order for us to be able to fully reckon with all of the possibilities that yeah. are before us yeah. and be able to like choose a path together that's right. and that we can't actually come into we can't without the grief and healing work we can't come into right relationship with each other in a way that would allow us to make that pathway choice together and the pathway choice is ultimately in many ways what we're talking about when like when folks ask that question about like what is the best way to prepare for what's coming it's like it's like the thing that we actually have to learn to do you know we could sit here and talk about all the thing all the preparedness related tasks Mm -hmm. that one would have to do but ultimately at the end of the day it's about like finding a pathway together that we are all actually in a commitment to yes and i felt like ari was really beautifully lifting up that like our our inability to deal with our grief yes. is actually the baseline shit that is getting in the way of us coming up with a path that we can walk together. I love that. And mm-hmm. I love that because I um, had a body worker years ago who worked on me and did an amazing piece of work with me around grief and then a month later committed suicide. And hmm. it's stuck with me so much. Um, and so, you know, on so many ways like that would, yeah. but the work that he did with me was around grief and it was really coming to the conclusion. And what he said was grief is gratitude. Grief is gratitude. And if you can understand grief is gratitude, that it makes you realize that grief is a function of love. It's like, I am grateful for what I have and I loved what I have. And this is an expression of my love and my gratitude for what I had. And I feel like that, that until we get to a recognition Mm -hmm. that like we had Eden, we had this pristine planet, we had this gorgeous, abundant planet. And what we have done with this planet is pillage, 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 take, 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 and not think of it as a living being that we need to be in relationship with, Mm -hmm. but instead think of it as a resource that we can take. And I think the grief is a way of us entering into a a relationship of like, oh no, wait, this is a miraculous place Mm -hmm. and it's of value. And some part of it will never come back or not in the relationship that we know of or not in our lifetimes, at least. I think, I think the planet is deeply resilient and will recover from us. But I do believe that 
we will not necessarily as a species recover unless we make some some big changes. And I think I, a slight difference I have from what you said is I do think that we have to get collectively on a path. I'm not sure that we all need to. And I, I worry about that because I think that it holds us back from doing anything because we're like, wait, we need to get everyone on board. We need to get the government on board. We need to get all these countries to make this agreement. And they don't. Or they make the agreement like the Paris Accord and then they don't uphold it. Mm-hmm. And so now I think we could shift into the tangibles because when I think about the tangibles, I'm like, you need to have a community of people with whom you actually do have a plan about what you're going to do on a material level to survive. And I think people need to have multiple kinds of plans. I think you need to have a plan for what happens if the way the climate apocalypse plays out means that you can't leave where you are, that you have to hyper localize. Mm-hmm. I think you need to have a sense of like, who are my people at a very local level who understand how to work with the land in this place and grow food in this place and understand how to compost and how to deal with waste in this place and understand what safety looks like. And then you have a shared sense of safety, like a shared sense of like, what is safety? have to have a sense of like, who am I going to have sex with in my local context? Okay. Cause that's important. Cause that's also important. <laughs> I'm so wait, glad can you I said say that. Something else about grief. You can say anything. Because, yeah. No, I don't mean to be, um, silly about it, but I do actually think that like having a sense of like who are the people you would turn to for fucking is important. And you know that I agree. I know that you agree. Yes. And a long list. But there is one other thing I wanted to say about the grief piece. Yeah. Which again relates back to the like truth of everyone's gonna die. That like from my personal experience in 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 grief is that like there's a level of clarity that comes inside of grief. Yeah that is unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. Yes. And I remember mm. um, one of the things I experienced in 2014 after losing my baby was that like in the first two weeks, I had real clarity that like it didn't matter that I survived yes. the experience because I did almost die in the yes. hospital. Yeah. But I had this, I had this, I had this, experience a very direct experience for those first two weeks of like a liminality yeah of like that there was no space between me and my child Mm -hmm. even though my child was dead yeah there was actually no separation between us that I was him and he was me and that there was a way that like it didn't matter that I was still alive yeah and that he was dead and that it could have been otherwise like it could have been flipped or it could have been that we both survived or it could have been that we both died but like it didn't matter exactly that like we were still one yeah and that has been such a continuous teaching for me as I think about as I try to reckon with the reality of death yeah that like I think I'm going to go out on a limb here, but like, Mm. I think that we have a real attachment to the idea that our species will survive Mm -hmm. climate genocide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, one of the things that's that in a way grounds me the most in this current moment is, is like sitting with like literally sitting and meditating with I'm attached like I have an attachment to the idea that humans survive the genocide, the climate genocide, that we survive the apocalypse. And what I know from my grief is that it actually doesn't matter. There is no separation. (laughs) 
There's yeah. no separation between yeah. like humans as a species that survives and humans that is as a species that does not. And mm. so it means that I can like give attention to the tasks or practices that I that I choose in my very local like unit of like my family and community that I'm working inside yeah. of. I can give like full attention to those practices and very much hope that we do. Yes. And 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 put attention on like these are the practices of survival that me and my family are engaged in and I'm willing to teach those to other people. And I still have to sit with that like yeah. there's that like we you know part of Zazen is sitting with all of the different attachments that we yes. have and where they serve us yeah. and all those things and blah 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 and where they don't serve us. But I think that it has been very like it's been useful to me to notice that like it actually doesn't matter hmm. and huh. that doesn't mean like knowing that like it doesn't matter actually because I'm going to die and because like my children are going to die there's a, a level on which it fundamentally doesn't matter if my, if the human species survives or not and that doesn't make my particular work my particular attention any less meaningful or impactful hmm. to the possibility yeah. that humans will because it's very possible that like my small act of like teaching myself how to chop wood, <laughs> right? Like chop wood, mm -hmm. haul water. Mm -hmm. Like it's very possible that my small act is part of why we survive. I love that. And I'm going to join you out on that limb. Um, <laughs> Come on out there with me. Hey girl, I just want to scoot out here with you um, in a slightly different way, which is that for me, I think it all matters very much. And I'm interested in humans being able to be in right relationship with the planet. So I'm not interested in us just surviving no matter what state we're in or yeah. no matter how we're operating. I think it's very important that we get in right relationship to the consequences of our action and that as many of us as possible turn towards getting in right relationship with the planet as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think from my experiences with grief that there is a here and then there is something beyond and that that beyond is very mysterious and that this here is also very important. And it makes me think of Octavia, like the idea of earth seed, which is that like the earth is a ground in which we practice something that's really important that allows us then to go beyond the earth, that the mm -hmm. earth is like womb, earth is mother, earth is a place for us to learn something important that will then allow us to engage with the rest of the universe. Whether we engage with it by going out into the rest of the universe or engage with it by being here, but being in relationship with mm -hmm. other mm -hmm. forms of life, other ways of being. And um, so for me, I think of it in that way, that I'm like, I don't think that in this whole universe, we're the only beings that are sentient and that have figured out how to build societies and that have figured out all the complexity of our existence. Um, just because there's so much wonder well, and there's so much out there and there's mm -hmm. so many... You know, there's, we discover all the time other solar systems that have similar conditions to ours. And um, I like to think that it's only hubris that makes us think we're the only ones who could have developed in this particular way. That doesn't mean I think that there's necessary planets where there are other Manhattans out there or something. I, I don't think that it's like, oh, and everything developed this way. But, you know, this is why we love Battlestar Galactica so much because it was just this idea of what all could exist in the universe and and 
how many cycles do we have to go through mm-hmm. um, in order to move move through what humanity is here to learn? Mm-hmm. And I think about that a lot. For me, when I think like what matters um, to me, us, uh, our, um, hmm. the elimination of having humans in the universe to me would mean that we had not learned some crucial lesson for how to be in the universe. And I'm just interested in that lesson. I'm interested in like, like, oh, there's some reason we came into existence and perhaps there's some need for us. And this is always an interesting thing about Christianity is the idea that like God created us to to attend to the planet. Mm. And even though I don't espouse, like it's not like I'm a practicing Christian in that way. Like I'm like down with God, but I'm also down with all the other deities that anyone's ever created. I'm just like, yes, sacred. Um, But I also, here's a deity and here's a deity and here's a deity. Give me some more. Um, But I, all the deities and I also love what Alexis says, which is, and we're all deities. Like I love that, you know, that kind of multi deification of, of what it means to be human. And the part of what we're doing is denying that. And I think with the climate crisis, that's exactly what's happening is we, we eschew our responsibility as, as divine beings that can shape the future and that can shape our conditions. And we say, no, these conditions are just happening to us. And all we can do is go about our lives as normal and pretend that that's not happening. I want to say a couple of things. Good. Um, one is about this idea of like being in relationship with other um, life forms yeah. in the universe, yeah. um, whether that's like going out and being in relationship with them directly or just being in relationship with them here. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> some of the folks I was with over the weekend, we were talking about the recent discovery that octopi cephalopods have a different DNA structure than Mm -hmm. basically all other life on earth, which is, you know, which is understood as evidence that they like came from some alien life form that came here. And (laughs) which is such a amazing idea, right? That like Mm -hmm. that we actually have alien life that's already living here on our planet Mm -hmm. and just being in relationship with us. Um, we eat them, but you know, they probably don't mind it cause they're aliens. But, um, um, but then I was thinking too about like that scene towards the end of Battlestar Galactica when they finally do get to earth mm-hmm. and they discover that there is, um, human life already, like, um, walking about on the planet and yes. they're sort of like making their coming up with their sort of sense of like, well, what's the next step here? Like, are we going to blend with them or not? And, and I was thinking about the like, you know, just like the the imagery there of like the Battlestar itself and all of the other ships like entering the stratosphere, being being on the planet, landing permanently. And the fact that even if the human life on the planet didn't wasn't visually aware that this other life was now on the planet with them. Yeah. That like there was some level of awareness that that other life is there. Right. Yes. Like on, in some cellular way, because like we know we're communicating with each other beyond just like, um, the, the things that we can like understand in our, in, in our minds. And, and so that to me feels like really cool in terms of thinking about what's happening right now 
like the fact that like we do have alien life living on the planet with us yeah that we do know that there are that there is like many other ways of being that are already interacting with us even if we're not consciously aware of it and that feels like also very hopeful because the to me the radical possibility is you know that like that it is some uh, completely other way of being to yeah. us that will ultimately be the answer for yes. how we figure out how to be in relationship with the earth, you know, oh. that like, yes, it probably does have to come from somewhere else if we're really going to learn it. Well, and I love this. Misha Cardenas talks about this idea that we are all nature. Like everything we're doing is actually part of nature. The synthetic things we create and the systems we create and all this stuff. There's nothing that's like, not this nature. This is our nature at, at, at work. And I love that idea that it's like we're not, I mean, it's, even it's like, oh, we're destroying the planet. We're causing all this harm. Um, I'm like, yeah, that's what we are. That's our nature is destructive. And when I think about the deeper, like what is the deep spiritual work we need to do? It's like, how do we decide we are worthy of the miracle and operate as if that is true. And I think that's what we wrestle with the most is we try to outsource the miracle to deities that are so far beyond us that they can't be comprehended, or we try to completely deny it and say there is no deity, there is no magic, there is no divinity. We do all these moves, but it's like, I think the major lesson is to recognize we have this this sacred power to shape the future. And we have the sacred power, the sacred responsibility to accept the miracle. And that to me feels very exciting. And so then when I start to think about, okay, so then as a, as a divine species, like all species, our divine species capacity is to reason and to actually think about what we're doing and make different choices. And so among those choices are being interdependent, operating in community, right? And one of the pieces that jumps forth for me is pleasure, where I'm like, I think a huge way that we're going to survive whatever's coming to us is to be able to put our attention on pleasure, to be able to say, even though these conditions seem incomprehensibly horrible, I can still find the pleasure in this day. I can find the reason to continue. I can find the connections that still make me want to be here. Mm -hmm. And I can find the good feeling inside of myself, you know, the orgasmic yes inside myself that makes me say, yes, I still want to be here. And I I think that on a very tangible level, it's like as an individual, I think the work is I can still find (laughs) orgasm a day keeps the doctor away. (laughs) Orgasm a day keeps the apocalypse away. And I feel like that's a piece. And then what I was starting to say earlier was just, I think as a community or as part of a, you know, like being like, Oh, I'm part of a species. Then I think the key move is who's my flock. Like who are my people that I am moving with through these transitions that I'm accountable with? And do we have a plan at a local level for how we do that? And then my community that's larger than that, it's like, do we have a plan for how we will find each other and where it makes sense to be? And I'm starting to have these conversations in very real ways with my friends of like, what is the fresh water like where you live? What are the drought cycles where you live? You know, what is the relationship to growing food where you live? Do people know how to do that? Do they think about it? Do you have access to land? Can you afford land? Do you have a sense of how to protect yourself and what safety and justice look like in those scenarios? Like, I think getting people to understand that part of what is coming is um, 
is climate devastation that will overwhelm the governance systems we currently have. Like they're already completely maxed out and unable to attend to our basic human needs. I live in Detroit. We can't figure out how to give people heat and water. Like it's already happening. And then I think that will just continue. Like the infrastructures we currently have will not be able to hold under the pressure of apocalypse. So we as humans who are in relationship with each other need to make sure we have a sense of what are the systems we think will work and how are we experimenting with them in the now so that when the pressure comes, that's what will come out of our systems. It's like, oh, there's 12 of us. There's been a massive climate crisis. Mm -hmm. And between us, we will figure out how to get the resources we need and take care of each other. Or there's a bad, you know, that's if there's a climate crisis where we can't go to other places and Mm -hmm. get to each other. Or there's a climate crisis and it's like, okay, now is the time. And I think that I think about that a lot. I was like, when will I know that it's the time to make my way to you guys or to make my way to Danny and Belle, you know, my uh, woes? When will I know that it's time to find my parents? When will I know that that's the time? And I think that's a diff- the answer for that is actually different for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I, and I think that's, that's part of the multiverse of all this is like, I don't think there's a single plan or a single way we will survive. I think there's a multitude of ways, but I think everyone needs to be thinking about what is my way that I will move through these things and what are the sacrifices I'll make now. And I just want to say on a very um, present tangible level, you know, right now, I do as much as I can to avoid flushing toilets, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right? I live as if, it, you know, even though like I lived in California for, for a few years when it was drought conditions and I got into the practice of just like operating with drought conditions, which was like, I don't flush the toilet unless I absolutely need to, which mm-hmm. is a poop condition and I don't flush it otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I live that way, even though I'm in Detroit where there's apparently plentiful water and all apparently. that stuff. Right. Because I'm like, there's a drought somewhere. We need to operate as if that drought is everywhere. We need to act as if water is precious. Like that's one practice that I'm in. And I think there's a lot of others. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to eat less and less meat and less meat where I don't know where the source of it is because I'm like, I know the impact that that has on a global level um, is, yeah. oh, we only have a limited resource of meat and the meat that we get um, requires a huge toxifying force on the planet. So how can I make that shift? So th- to me, like those are the immediate shifts we can make. And then making those plans and relationship um, building with people that we want to spend our future with and spend apocalyptic conditions with, that feels like the other piece. What about for you? I feel like one of the things that I was thinking about just this morning when I woke up was like the first thought that I had was, oh, I want to, I need to start saving some seeds. Uh And I feel like as a grower, you know. You better be a grower. There are all these like small practices that I already use that most of the people that I'm like in community with in the particular location that I'm in that we already use. Like most of the people I know are already engaged in like very like environmentally sound and sustainable practices. Mm -hmm. So there's all but there's always another level of that. So for me, one of the the immediate thoughts and I think it's something that actually all of us can do is Mm -hmm. like learning how to save seeds and save seeds for the long term yeah um but then I think like on that tip about the 
preparing for crisis itself. Yeah. I think one of the things that my my own direct experiences with crisis have has taught me is that like um the most important thing that you can prepare to do is to trust yourself yeah and to trust your agency to yeah. come through and your ability to make choices and we've talked about this in some of our previous episodes but that like the evidence is already there for us in terms of what we know about how individuals and communities tend to respond in crisis and under pressure, which is that we tend to create networks. That's right. We tend towards hospitality. Yeah. We tend towards care for one another. And so I spend a lot of time like when I'm when I, I do a lot of like imagining about apocalypse and like, mm. one of the things that I spend a lot of time reflecting on and imagining is like journeying mm. and like what would happen, like what would be my process of getting home if I was mm. elsewhere mm -hmm. and like literally like imagining the journeying of like walking back to my home from yeah. wherever I was. Um, and <clears throat> inside that part of what I'm accessing some of it is like time travel, but yes. some of it, like part of what I'm accessing is like an innate sense of my own agency to be able to move and to trust my ability to like be in an environment and understand how to make decisions regardless of the conditions that That's I'm right. under. That's right. um, and I think like to me, the hope there is that like we actually all have that inside us. It's yeah. just that we don't usually access it on a daily basis because the structures of our daily lives really limit how often we can be making choices, yeah. like directly experiencing ourselves as making choices, which is speaking to what you were just describing about like the, the structures of governance that are currently in place that actually are policing more than governing us. Yes. You know what I mean? Then it's like <laughs> right. those, those conditions make it like part of, part of how they impact us is they make it really hard for us to experience our own agency. Yeah. And so, but but in the absence of those structures, the agency is right there, ready to come through. And that's been so powerful for me is to be like, oh, I do know what to do. I actually know exactly what to do. I remember like every time I was birthing a child, yeah. it was like <laughs> my body was like, mm -hmm. my body knew exactly what to do. And like the main work that I needed to do was just get out of the way and let my body do what it already knew what to do. And when you say get out of the way, it's like getting your mind, your thoughts mm -hmm. out of the way so that your or body like can even actually do. Is that what you Doing mean? it and and partly that, but it wasn't like getting my mind out of the way. It was like getting all of the limiting thoughts out of the way and then aligning my thinking and aligning. I've told people this story many times, but I remember particularly with my, the second birth was Siobhan's birth. And I was assisted, of course, by like knowing already what to do or knowing already what was going to happen. But every birth is different. And I remember I had already made this conscious decision before I gave birth to Siobhan that I was going to only say words out loud. Oh, yes. That were like... It's changed my whole doula work. Oh, <laughs> dude, it's for real. But I, I decided to only say words out loud with out of my mouth. I would only let words pass out of my mouth that were saying yes to what was happening. Yeah. And so that meant that throughout most of my birth, and this was like a pretty short labor for her. It was like a four and a half hour yeah. birthing process which is amazing actually amazing. and especially given how big her little yeah I mean this is an interesting <laughs> note I think that I, I kind of want to share with everybody always that like 
this birth was a home birth. I gave birth to her in my apartment in Brooklyn. And on a yoga mat. Yes. <laughs> yes. There was a yoga mat involved, although Sam and I are forever arguing about whether I was actually on it. Anyway, it's a whole situation. But um, <laughs> um, what I remember most clearly about the moment that she actually left my body was that like I was on my knees with my with my whole top of my body in the lap of my doula, Samara Gaev. And um, Samara was wearing this like low cut t-shirt and her beautiful breasts were like contained in this very <laughs> beautiful red bra. And I just had my face like buried in her breasts, like for the last <laughs> 20 minutes Amazing. of the birthing process, which I highly recommend to anybody, but <laughs> that all, uh, <laughs> yes, so, um, the, the words that I said during the birth process were words like down, open, and yes, and those were yes. the words that yes, down, yes, down, open. open. The the like major takeaways of this were like yeah. Siobhan was my biggest baby that I've given birth to. She was ten pounds twelve ounces. Oof. It was a four and a half hour labor. It was a joyful and intimate and beautiful experience. Yes, and I didn't tear at all with her. That's a miracle. At all, even a, a little miracle. bit. And it is a miracle. It's but it is but it's also not, right? Mm -hmm. It was just like that's what that's what happens when you're inside your agency and your yeah. instinctive recognition that if you say yes, yeah. your body knows what to do. So anyway, all that is to say mm. to the asker of this question, Ariana, yeah. that like I think that the answer I think one of the answers to this question is like we actually do know what to do and we actually do have what we need in order to survive the next 10 years, in order mm -hmm. to plan for what's coming. Mm -hmm. There is an element here of actually like coming all the way out on that limb yes. and trusting. Oh, I love you so much. And <laughs> I love that because it really aligns with what my heart tells me for this period, which is not to stop fighting against the things which lead to in, inhumanity, inhumane mm -hmm. conditions, which I feel like that, that's for me is the main piece. It's like I want to just transition. Yes. I want to just transition. I want it to feel like there is justice in the ways that we pivot towards this new relationship with the planet, which may be a very old relationship or it may actually be a new relationship, like something that mm -hmm. draws on the old and incorporates technology and incorporates new ways of being as human beings and incorporates the tarot and incorporates a lot of things that, that may seem that Please at let odds. There be tarot. I believe that. And I also think there's something about being able to say change is actually constant and we, the only way out is through. And so in this condition, I'm like the only way out of capitalism might be going through a sort of orgiastic chaos of the end of capitalism, mm -hmm. which will be very terrifying because we fight against capitalism while relying on capitalism. Mm -hmm. And it might be this chaotic moment of transition with the planet that not everyone is able to survive. And to me, there's a devastation to that. Like the devastation comes from like, it didn't have to be this way. And then the yes in us is like, and it is this way. Mm -hmm. And how do we say yes to what we created and still commit to finding the best way through. And I think we can do that. I think we can do that. I, I know we can, can do, do that. that. Too. I know we can do, I know we will do that. And yeah. I want to say just as a final word here that like, 
I'm also still waiting for like the invention from Star Trek where <laughs> like you go bleep, 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 and then there's the meal that you want. Because <laughs> I think that that would also really help us survive the apocalypse if we could yeah. do bleep, 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 and then it's like the yeah. meal that you want. But somehow I feel like I remember in a really early Star Wars episode that they explained that like this doesn't in any way impact anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, and I think there's something just amazing like, about the blue, 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 because blue, blue, blue. I think that 3D printing, Hamburger. like I will say, blue, blue, blue. I think 3D printing is the closest Searing we've come to scallops. this. And <laughs> not scallops. You haven't watched Big Mouth yet. Everybody needs to watch Big Mouth. Oh, no. Like, it'll change will your I feelings on scallops? scallops. It changed my feelings on scallops. Anyway, it's like scallops cause gas and it's just a bad thing. But, blue, blue, blue. but, blue, gas. <laughs> Oh, the apocalypse is funny. But, you know, mm -hmm. I, I do feel like this idea of like 3D printing and, and there are people who are just figuring out like how do we innovate so that we can remake matter into what we need it to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm very curious about those experiments. Totally. I'm very curious about how those experiments tie in with the just transition. I'm very excited about the number of human beings I personally know who are thinking about just transition and who are thinking about the fact that like change is definitely coming. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure it is an enactment of our highest selves and not our lowest, basest, um, most um, greedy selves? So that that feels like on the spiritual level and then on the practical level, like, oh, how do I practice in my life being interdependent, being interconnected, mm -hmm. being generous? being non-attached to my material things, not being greedy, being very creative about how mm -hmm. I make sure I'm taken care of and others are taken care of. Mm -hmm. Like how do I break down the isolation and individuality in my own life? Mm -hmm. And that thrills me. And so I think this is a billion answers for this person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what a good I'm, question. I'm, I thank love you, Ariana. Question. Yes. Thank you so much. And that's our show. Aww, shucks. shucks. Thanks for listening to our show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. You can make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com slash end of the world show. Another incredibly helpful thing you can do to help our show sustain itself is to write us a review on Apple Podcasts if you are an iPhone person. Thank you for doing that. Music for today's session comes from Tunde Olanaran and Mother Cyborg. How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by the amazing Zach Rosen. 